Geek Zone. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. And welcome to episode 36. Usually we do a rundown of franchises, but right now, me and Daniel are working our way through the Academy Award-nominated films for Best Picture. Last week, we talked about uh, three that I totally am blanking on right now, but this <laughs> week, we're talking about Mank, Nomadland, and Promising Young Woman. Yeah, last week, I it was... I am fucking blanking, too. <laughs> yeah, last week, it was Minari, the trial, the trial of the Chicago 7, and The Father. And The Father, So that yes. was, yeah, yes. that was I our... I couldn't remember Minari, yeah. Yeah, that was our triple feature for last week, and this week, we're closing it out with Mank, Nomadland, and Promising Young Woman. I didn't know what order you watched them in, but that was the order that I watched them in. I thought that was going to be at least how I was going to approach the rundown. Um, what do you think I think that, that works fine. Um, yeah, I think we should probably give a disclaimer at the top of the show. We are discussing Promising Young Woman. This does deal with sexual violence. Um, yeah. There will be time codes in the description if that is a conversation you would like to skip. Yeah, well put. So we'll have that for your audience, for our audience there later. So yeah, let's get started. I'm going to read off the synopsis for Mank. Directed by David Fincher in 1930s Hollywood. Sorry. Directed by David Fincher, Mank, 2020. 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane, 1941. And so I will ask you, Daniel, what did you think about Mank? I was. I was so bored. <laughs> like this movie, <laughs> this movie was killing me. Um, here, here, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll read for you some thoughts that I jotted down while watching Mank. Yeah, let's do it. I wrote down, <laughs> I, I messaged some friends. I said, watching Mank and I'm miserable. This is the most <laughs> boring thing that has ever happened. Is Gary Oldman's <laughs> performance good? I don't know because I'm asleep. This is longer than Zack Snyder's Justice League. And finally, <laughs> fuck Mank. Um, yeah, I just... I like I the Justice League not, one. I could not fucking care, man. Like, I had such a hard time with this movie. Like... So what's like, the main issue? Uh, like, is it just that it's promising... too masturbatory? <laughs> <sighs> so, so Promising a Woman is a hard-to-watch movie at times. It is not as hard to watch as Mank. <laughs> like, this is... It's just... I just found it so... I just don't care about this story. Um, I feel first, it. Okay. The first thing, the first thing that kind of threw me off is, like... So they shot it in black and white because they wanted it to feel like it is of the era, but they shot it on video and they added these effects to make it look like it was shot on film, like cigarette burns, yeah. and like scratches and grain and stuff. And the reason they shot it on video is because they said they wanted more control, but they shot it in black and white instead of what is usually done, which is shooting in color and then converting to black and white because it gives you more control over the gray yeah. values. So, so they wanted more control by shooting on video, but they settled for less control by shooting in black and white. They wanted to be of the era by shooting in black and white and adding all these film effects, but they shot it in widescreen. They didn't shoot it in like a 4-3 aspect ratio. Yeah, uh, they also, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, they also go through this trouble of like working on the sound design to try and make it sound like it's of the era. Yeah, and so yeah. it's just like this weird half measure. And I found that really distracting. Um and then when it comes to actually like the narrative of the movie, it's so the movie jumps around in time and I found it really hard to engage with because I, I, I find myself getting into scenes. I'm like actually invested in the scene, like what is happening on screen. And then it'll jump to a different point in time. And it's like all of the energy has been 
sucked out of what was happening. And now I have to like put in the work of trying to invest myself in, in the new scene. <laughs> and then when we go back to the previous time period, I've all of the momentum has been lost. And so it's like, I have to re find my footing to try and care again. And yeah, there's a lot just, of that readjusting constantly. I could happening. not get into this movie. Man. What, <clears throat> what did you think? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of with it. I was into it. I wasn't aware of any of the production things going in. Like I am a David Fincher fan. I like his movies, I like his work. And so I was like, okay, like give him the benefit of a doubt. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Citizen Kane. It sort of opened my mind up in a major way in film school, even though I watched it on a really small, like little tiny screen in the library. It was yeah. still like one of my favorite movies I've watched that entire year just because Citizen's Kane is just such a powerhouse of a film. And this movie is trying to emulate it in some ways. But yeah, it's like yeah. doing the jumbled narrative thing doesn't really work when the transitions aren't sexy and they're not like groundbreaking in the way that Citizen Kane was back when it showed up in 41. And so, yeah, it's trying to emulate it through style and it's sort of failing on that part. And then also, yeah, it's just like Hollywood likes to play dress up and do these things where it just sort of turns the lens back in on these important things and yeah it just gets kind of boring they're like they're having fun because they get to have a little like cocktail party and like oh like this hitler guy is no issue he's such a gas yeah. he won't be and, like you're just having fun with the fact that you know you get to be these socialites and, and like joke about these things of the era but all these things that are of the era are super specific to hollywood and not that compelling on their own and so yeah it's like dress up it's like who's who but it doesn't have it's not super interesting and i think the movie citizen kane is the like the movie to watch if you want to know about this story not this little yeah. i don't know origin story of me <laughs> well and also like i've done some research after the fact and it's like so this movie does this thing where it kind of like mank signs on to write citizen kane knowing he's not going to get credit and then at the end spoiler alert for mank um it's sort of like it sends the message that like Orson Welles didn't want to share credit with him or something like that. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, like, so, so I, I think the bulk of this script, it was written by David Fincher's dad. Um, mm -hmm. And the bulk of it is based on an article, I think called Raising Kane. Uh, it was sort of like an essay about the making of Citizen Kane. And Correct, yeah. that a lot of that article turns out has been debunked. So this movie is on mm -hmm. something that has been kind of debunked that like, um, you know, there were other writers attached to this. Mank wrote the first draft, but, like, Orson Welles and... I, f I forget who the other writers, <clears throat> writer writers were, but, like, they did a lot to transform and shape that script into what became the final final screenplay for Citizen Kane. Um, yeah, so he wrote the original tome, and then it was molded into the thing that we know of Citizen Kane. But I feel like the movie kind of gives you the impression that, like, he is the genius behind Citizen Kane, Mink. Um, yeah, and it's him racing against the clock, racing against his own addictions and sort of just being the self-destructive genius like Orson Welles. And it sort of make, it makes that same sort of connection of this, this guy going against the world. And, yeah, it, it, there's some parts that I was into, but, yeah, I was sort of with you. It, after a while, it's like this, this movie just drags on. There's just so many flashbacks and... A lot of times, I, yeah, the scenes are building that momentum, and then it just it destroys that to jump to another point in time. And I'm, every time it does that, I'm like, this scene better be incredibly cru crucial to Citizen Kane or to Mank or something. Yeah. And it's usually it's just like more gossip and more color of the era. And you know, it's you're talking about you know, um, uh, fucking the newspaper guy. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what's that fool's name? Um, Hurst. 
Yeah, they're talking about Hurt. Yeah, they're talking about, like, Hearst, and they're talking about, like, these characters of the era. And so it's it feels very gossipy to me. And so, yeah, it, just, it didn't seem to have a lot of bite or anything to really say. And there, even there's a joke early on in the movie when there's, like, a nice funny pitch meeting where it's basically like a little improv session between mm-hmm. these writers, and they're just, like, doing Mad Libs, just like, oh, this happens. And then, like, you know, it's a movie about religion, and it's, like, Frankenstein's monster. And then, like, the you know, thing flips yeah. over, and they're, like, just bullshitting these executives. And then at the end, it's like, I thought this movie was supposed to be about something, and that was, like, my favorite laugh of the movie, and then that turned out to be how I felt about the entire movie. I was like, I thought this was supposed to be, like, about something, but it didn't really quite get there. Yeah, that scene's actually, like, a great scene in the movie. Like, this this movie has its moments, like, mm-hmm. but, yeah, by cutting back and forth, like you said, like, this, if you're going to cut to a flashback or something, it has to feel crucial it has it has to recontextualize what i just saw like what is the scene that i just watched and how is this being recontextualized by the scene that follows if that if the scene that follows is a flashback like yeah it it has to feel like there's constant momentum in what is being revealed to the audience and this movie doesn't feel that way to me it feels really meandering um yeah there's there's just so much sort of going on you have this Upton St. Clair, this Upton St. Clair thing. I said like he's running for governor, so there's like politics going on, and there's just like the issue with him dealing with the studios and MGM, and so there's there's like some nice stuff going on. I, mean, I think there's really lush characters involved in this world, but there's just you know it's so breakneck speed and it's just so scattershot that it never has time to really settle and enjoy those things. Um, so, what did you think of Oldman's performance? I thought he looked pretty dead on to the uh, actual Herman Mankiewicz. I thought that was really good casting. I think he's like thirty the, years older. Though. Yeah, I think that, like <laughs> the numbers are way off. I was looking online afterwards, and apparently, yeah, that's really skewed. And yeah, it's like Amanda Seyfried is like really younger, and it was supposed to be like thirties at the time of this movie. But there's also so many flashbacks; it's hard to really tell how old he's supposed to be <laughs> at the core of this movie. But I, I, I enjoyed him. I, I thought he was just kind of little mush mouthy at some time and you know uh i don't know sort of phoning it in because it seemed to be it's hard it's hard to describe um this performance because he's doing like this drunk curmudgeon-y like know-it-all person who who always has these perfect quips so it seems like that that perfect amazing role where it's like this he's always on point and so i don't know like there's this whole talk about the dinner scene like this revolutionary dinner scene that took 100 takes for you know between him and fincher but that dinner scene is just like they cut around it so much and like it's shot so far away at some point so i'm just like this isn't doing like, i don't even know what i'm supposed to really be feeling from this like he's just yeah. ruining th- this party and he's just like just being an asshole and so yeah the, it just the it wasn't vomits resonating yeah they said like that was supposed to be some like you know massive huge iconic scene for this movie and like literally like hundreds of takes and it's just like why like i don't like i don't really see this movie was such a chore for me to watch like it felt like have you seen what we do in the shadows the tv show no there's a character so it's about sitcom about vampires and there's a character in that show that is an energy vampire and the idea of an energy vampire is that they bore the people around them to drain them of their energy. That's what this movie felt like to me. It felt like this yeah. movie is, it is like this chaos magic sigil that is like, <laughs> it is draining. The tones around your bedroom. Yeah, it is draining the energy of the masses. And that 
you know, all this awards talk is just to like get more eyes on it so that it can drain the life of more people. This movie made me dislike <laughs> the next two movies we're going to talk about more because I was in such a shitty mood. <laughs> like, oh no, that's un- well, that's unfortunate. I, yeah. <laughs> I really it, like, enjoyed it. It's like no a Atlanta. black <laughs> hole. I was so I went to go pick up Emily last night from Bart, and. She was like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, I'm watching Mank. I have 15 more minutes. <laughs> like, I, she was like, have yeah, you been a, drinking? And I'm like, no. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, this movie has taken it out of me. So you look like you've had a triple IPA. It's like, no, I just watched Mank for two hours and I have 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes left. I had to take like four breaks from this movie. I, I was dreading watching it. It was like I was procrastinating. Like it was this, this yeah, chore that I had excited. to do. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you weren't excited at all. I'm, I'm, it's over. <laughs> That's a good thing. At least I we can say that it's over. Filled with anxiety about having to watch Mank, <laughs> the movie that yeah, everyone's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I didn't feel that strongly about it. I thought it was just like middle of the road. I was just like, okay. It reminded me of like American Hustle. Like everyone was just all about that movie the year it came out. But when I watched it, I was like, okay, it's kind of just Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper just being in 70s dress up and it didn't do much for me and and i feel like every year there there seems to be a movie like that where it's just kind of self-aggrandizing and i think hollywood just loves movies about hollywood like they love movies about you know the film culture and stuff like that and i don't know watching this i was just like i I would rather watch ed wood like tim tim burton's movie about totally you know the worst director of all time like that is way more engaging way more pleasant to watch um, it's not dealing with lofty things like Upton Sinclair or like, uh, you know, the, the, the author versus the studio, but it's, yeah. God damn, man. I could not get into this. <laughs> All right. Well, it seems like <laughs> that's the, the general consensus for Mank. We hope it doesn't get any trophies this year, but you know, <laughs> knowing the way that the, the Academy is, of Arts and Sciences works, we <laughs> might walk away with something. Well... I think that is a nice segue into our next movie, Nomadland, because I, I think it's a movie I rather enjoyed. Would you like to read like the IMDb synopsis for that for us? Sure. A woman in her 60s who, after losing everything in the Great Recession, embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. And so, yeah, this is based on a book by Jessica Bruder, and it is written and directed by Chloe Zhao. What did you think of Nomadland, Thomas? So, like the last three movies, I watched all of these in one day. And unlike you, wow. Mank didn't destroy, Mank didn't <laughs> devastate my day. It was the first movie of the morning. And after that, I was pretty excited to watch these other two films. And Nomadland was my favorite out of the three. I would say that mm-hmm. as a general spoiler for our conversation. But I've never seen a Chloe Zhao film, and this really blew me away. It's a really quiet character study about, you know, just the end of the American dream. If Minari is a, a good film about the beginning of the American dream and like, you know, selling that idea in a really precious, beautiful way. Nomadland mm-hmm. is about what happens at the end of that deal and like the receipt of that transaction and yeah. human, what we see like humans sort of getting just digested by America when they're no longer useful to work. And it's a really poignant on like, you know, relevant film, like this character works at Amazon and is like a nomad and living on the road and dealing with like, in, uh, interacting with a lot of non-actors. And so, yeah, just there's, this movie does a lot of things right, and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, really, the ending really touched me, and, and I was definitely emotional <laughs> towards the end of it. So, yeah, what did yeah. you think of it? Um, <clears throat> I wasn't that into Nomadland, unfortunately. Like, I know 
a lot of people are loving it and it's a very pretty movie um i really liked chloe zhao's previous movie the writer um Mm -hmm. but this one i i feel like the most engaging part for me is when she joins a community of nomads and we're sort of getting the rundown there's a man who works there um she says he looks like santa claus he's sort of getting the rundown on how to be a nomad and like uh there's classes on what sort of bucket do you need to shit in and um, how do you get away with overnight parking and stuff like that and it feels like there's this sort of philosophical component to the way uh they view life as a nomad um and that part of the movie feels like it's a pretty small part and we kind of quickly get away from that I, I i was expecting that we would spend more time with it and you know what this commu- how this community functions and what it means to find a community once the american dream is dead um but yeah like the movie it kind of reminded me a little bit of a harmony corinne movie where it's this collision between what is real and what is false uh with harmony corinne he usually uses that collision to create a series of moments that function together to as as some sort of tone poem here it's the collision of what is real and what is false but it is mostly interested in telling a story following this main character and it is way more uh, empathetic to its subjects than uh, a Harmony Korean movie would be. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like, I, I feel like the movie doesn't quite go far enough in some places with showing us, uh, you know, life after the American dream, uh, this sort of dystopian uh, world that these characters operate in. Um, and, yeah, I think we can get a little bit more into that, but... I don't know. Yeah, tell me what what are your some of your thoughts on what I'm saying here? Yeah, I think what you said is a really good point because yeah, there is this setup of uh, we have this character Fern and she is living out of a van and we get the, we, the setup is that yeah, she is looking for basically a community sort of to connect to and as that was leading up to the point in the movie it's like okay, she's going to find this group of Arizona. She's going to show up with them and just basically gel with them and be a part of their tribe and we like see their world as nomads through the eyes of Fern. But then like they wake have like all these like, little charming moments where she's having fun with people and they're like, making food and everything and trading stuff and you know she has this little sort of relationship developed with David Strathern. And then, they, like, they wake up and they're all gone. And I was like, that was really interesting to me because I was like, huh, like, I thought this was going to be her sticking with them the entire time. But it seems to be this character of Fern is a little bit further an outlier as far as looking at the, like, the graph of nomads and people. And so that group is a little bit more community-based and this person isn't ready for that. And I was watching an interview with Chloe Zhao and the way that she worded it was, like, there's two types of people that basically, like, there's the nomads that are using it as a means to an end and there's the true nomads that are just dead continuously dedicated to not living under a roof and fern sort of represents that and so yeah there is a little bit of a disconnect where there are moments where it's like she's just kind of alone and just sort of dealing with stuff on, like on her own it's kind of just, you know, plumbing inside of the trailer and everything and it, it just like meander a little bit and i thought it sort of redeemed itself with the character um i, I wanted to say uh bernie but the character's not named bernie um it's the one, like the friend she sort of develops the little relationship with who has like the messed up arm. She has like the cancer survivor. And uh, I, I like, say her I just name like started that. with an S. Was it Swanky? Yeah, Swanky. Yeah. And I like that l- little relationship because she's a more hardened character. And 
yeah, she was sort of showing her the ropes a little bit. And so, yeah, those, th- those things were all working on me. And yeah, I, I think the cinematography helped sell it. And yeah, it was a, definitely a, a good response and a good contrast to a movie that's like trying to be deep like Mank, but a movie that actually felt legitimately deep and like a, a poetic statement. So I guess I was a little more softer on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. <clears throat> like, like on one hand, I just, I walked away from it feeling like I was just kind of medium on it. Um, I wasn't super into it, but there, there were, t- there was a point in the movie where I had to wonder, like, is this exploitative? Because we have uh, Francis McDormand playing, playing an unhoused person. Um, that's a, that's a really good point. And yeah. like, it, it reminds me of like when we were in college, and you know, we we went to college in San Francisco, large homeless population in San Francisco, and there were like students who wanted to make movies about the homeless crisis. Um, but they didn't know how to do it because how do you be sensitive to something like that? You don't want to just shove cameras in these people's faces. Um, I remember yeah. going to like a, a thesis film of someone at the Art Institute and there's a there's an actress playing the part of a homeless woman, um, pretending to be homeless, basically. And it feels really uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and like knowing that like Frances McDormand, there's there's a scene in this movie where she she's talking to a man... Um, about her situation, which in her situation is fictitious. You know, it's not real. She's Francis McDormand is actually a very wealthy woman. She probably has multiple houses and stuff, Um, but she's talking to this man about her situation and the man confides in her and tells her about like how his son had committed suicide and how it's not something he really likes to talk about. And this feels very real. Like this doesn't feel like, yeah, like this is a non-actor actually like, you know, revealing his heart and soul to this person who, like, like I don't know. I don't know what the circumstance. I don't know what the power dynamics are of this transaction. Like, does he know that he's being deceived? <laughs> like that? Because I, I remember seeing some articles saying that, not. like, <laughs> saying that some seeing some articles where people were saying like they didn't realize Frances McDormand was an actress. Huh. Um, and Damn, it's like, is this poverty face? Like, is this like yeah, poverty really, porn, really, misery porn? Yeah, is this really, really sketchy. Yeah, I, uh, I was feeling that too. Yeah, and. I don't know. It like makes me, yeah, it just makes me uncomfortable. Cause it's like <clears throat> this. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, that's true. The setting of this movie is like so political. Like it's like after the recession and we have this nice scene of these people sitting around a campfire, like talking about how they ended up in the nomad life and like, Oh, you know, I'm living on social security and like, Oh, you know, some, my partner got sick, something like that. Um, yeah. and we know that this imposter is among the group, <laughs> Francis McDormand, who like, is an actress and so there's i feel like there's this discomfort in seeing that like it's a very political setting and but the movie isn't really interested in exploring the nitty-gritty of the politics of it um you know yeah you you bringing this up is making me recontextualize a few scenes in the movie and oh my it's just like you're blowing my mind right now because there's a scene where they go to this rv like show thing it's like a showroom for rvs but it's outside and Mm. like it's a showcase and it's like france mcdormand they're like walking inside these like really nice rvs and i'm like like you could probably afford a trailer like that in your actual hollywood life like you're you know friends with the coen brothers like like you like this is something you're definitely used to and she's like this is like a disco and i'm like yeah that scene is definitely it feels a little dicey in hindsight because yeah it's like we're being led through this lower class by yeah by an actress and so the uh emotions that we're getting from these non-actors is super real and super authentic and i guess i connected to that more so mm-hmm. than the story of fern because fern's story is 
not super interesting. It's sort of we get a dripple of it throughout the movie, and then towards you know the second and third act, that's when you learn more about her husband and like you know her. It was more of a choice for her, not well, not necessarily yeah. a choice. Like it was like you know it was after her death, but it was like a little bit of a choice blended in her decision, and so because she's presented yeah. with opportunities to escape this life and she refuses them. And that's like the um, first. 30 minutes of the movie is people being like, hey, like, yeah, do you, want you can stay here. Stay? There's a church here. Yeah, just constantly yeah, giving there's her like offers. at least four times where she's presented with opportunities to sleep somewhere that isn't a van. Sleep in a, like, yeah. I think three times it's a house. Um, yeah, yeah. And, like, there's also, so, 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 yeah, it's, it's, there's an opportunity to explore the relationship or, or, or to contrast the people who have been forced into the situation versus those who have sort of chosen to be in it. Yeah. But I don't know that we really get that here. Um, there's also a scene where Dave, who like becomes, you know, not a, not a love interest, but uh, sort of a, a romantically coded <laughs> character. Uh, he there's a scene where he's in the hospital, and I don't remember how he got there, uh, but I do remember that it felt like it didn't matter. <laughs> like he's in the hospital and he exits the hospital, and I was thinking to myself, how yeah. much is that going to cost him like what sort of health care does he have if he's living this nomad life uh and it doesn't get into that uh yeah it's like the the editing of that is really interesting because they're with each other and then she's doing her own thing and then it's explained that like she just goes to the hospital and it's like oh that's how she finds out that he's there she's like oh well, he got sick or something and it's just explained in one line and then there's one scene where he like tries to he basically invites her over again, and yeah. then she like walks out abruptly, and then that's it. And yeah, it, it brushes by it really fast. And, but it's like yeah. there's an opportunity to explore the way that affects people who these lower income people who are out surviving in their cars and stuff. Like how how does getting sick affect them? Um, yeah, totally. And we have a lot of characters getting sick in this movie, and I thought that was going to be a, a point of interest because. At multiple times, they're talking about characters having cancer or getting sick. And yeah. Sort of having to deal with that on the road with, you know, no power, no water, anything. That's but we don't really see them dealing with it, do we? Yeah, no, no, no not really. So so I was, I was reading good, about yeah, this. Yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> I was reading about this. And uh, so, like, like I said, this is based on a book by Jessica Bruder, who also worked at Amazon. And she described uh, Amazon as... Um, the most aggressive recruiter of these wandering workers. And so Amazon actually gets federal tax cuts for hiring uh, these these nomads because they fall into disadvantaged categories. Um, hmm. So they're benefiting from the fact that these people are like gig workers and they don't represent a union, a unionization risk. Um, and so... Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And yeah, Bruder described them as like... I believe it was Bruder. Oh, no, it was a different... It's this woman, Linda May, who I believe is in the movie. Uh, she said, I fucking hate this job, but they're the biggest slave owner in the world, referring to Amazon. And I believe... I'm not sure if it was Bruder or Linda May, but they they suffered um, injuries from, from working at these warehouses. Oh. <laughs> and, like, that isn't explored. Um, it's It's kind of just like... I feel like the way the movie sort of treats Amazon is... Like it, maybe it's just because I'm conscious of it. I know that Amazon is exploiting these people. Um, mm -hmm. I, but is the movie treating it as if Amazon is exploiting these people or is the movie treating it as Amazon 
is just a fact of life. It is this thing. It is a resource, a not yet another resource for jobs the same way, like her getting a, a, a job uh, at, you know, flipping burgers or cleaning grills or her getting a job cleaning bathrooms along campsites Yeah, they get off stuff. really easy in this movie because they make it just seem like they're just another entity equivalent to the government where they're very, you know, it's just numbers. And if you have the ability to afford to stay inside of their trailer park, then you, yeah. if you have their money, you meet that criteria, that's fine, there's no issue. But if you fall below that line, then, you know, that's that's a problem. And then you, you know, sort of fall into this nomad ca ca category. And they got off rather easy, in my yeah. opinion, because, yeah, there's like, yeah, no injuries, it's all fun. There's like a nice little fun little t talk about the rules at the beginning of the day moment with one of the, like, team leaders and... Oh, yeah, all of those shots, there's nothing really malicious about it. And so it's sort of suggested as if, like, this is a nice aspect of Fern's life and, like, a really helpful thing. And, yeah, there's not, it's not very critical. And it could definitely be a lot more critical of how they are just, like, one of the most brutal machines out there as far as, like, you know, yeah. treating their workers badly. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's also worth noting that uh, Chloe Zhao has a contract with Amazon Studios. She's going to be making a movie for them. Um, hmm. So maybe that's taken into consideration with how how they're depicted in this movie. But it's interesting. And yeah, this movie right now is being pushed through Hulu, and so yeah, got to be going through. Which Amazon. is owned by Disney. <laughs> so, uh, damn. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on Nomadland? We're kind of zipping through these. Definitely a lot faster than the last conversation. Um, those are the big thoughts I had. Well, uh, there's one moment in this movie that really touched me and then it really upset me later on and it's when basically the character is telling her like about having cancer she does not want to go back to a hospital yeah. and she wants to basically just embrace life and that moment really rung true to me and i was like okay like yes that message is 100 percent resonating for me but then a little bit later in the film later in the third act the character fern gets a video that's basically like just like the video form of that poetic speech that mm. was delivered via campfire earlier on and she's like talking about being on the lake and having the the birds being above her and below her and the reflection just like really describing it beautifully in words but then we get this video of it and it's like a really crummy iphone video and that moment really upset me and stuck with me a lot longer than i thought because i was just like damn like why didn't they just like leave that magic sort of you know mysterious and unknown as that like you know that's that's like you know her her not her final moment but this is a character toward like getting towards yeah. the end of their life she's and, making her exit yeah contemplating death and that's like that's their final little moment and having it condensed to that iphone video just did not work for me and totally spoiled it and that that felt like a really odd decision and so yeah i was totally head over heels with this movie up until that point and then yeah, your comments are also making me sort of chip away at some things that were it, really great at first. It, it, yeah, the movie is okay. The American dream is dead. What comes next? Mm. And it's like, how do we find the beauty in the ashes of what is burned? Of, and so, well said. Yeah, I feel like that's all. That's all that this movie's really trying to do. But it's, I don't know. I, I want to explore why did it burn. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. why does it continue to burn? Because we, like, even people who are well off, it's still, shit can fall apart super quick. If you get sick, you're fucking done. Um, yeah. And I think someone in this movie says something along the lines of, if you don't have an address, you don't exist or something like that. Hmm. Um, 
And I don't remember that. I don't know it. But Maybe that's just something I read in a review, but it's... Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like this movie, it... It, yeah, it sort of romanticizes this the situation that these people are in rather than like really exposing us to the pain of it. Like we see people shitting in buckets and it's like that is like I think that her cleaning vomit off of a toilet is like <laughs> as bad as it gets. Um, yeah. 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 Or her like breaking of her family heirloom plates yeah. or something. She, like that. she get her van breaks down. She calls her sister for help. She says she'll pay her back. And it's like, what if she didn't have that sister? Um yeah, what if she didn't have this, you know, square dancing love interest to sort of be yeah, there? Who has a house this, apparently? The supposed safety net. Yeah, because they they definitely could have emphasized a lot more the whole aspect of we're dealing with a woman who sort of went along with this, you know, patriarchal, you know, traditional American thing where like the guy's gonna get a job. And I think she said like she got a job that was basically in connection to her husband's job. And so it's like yeah. you know, there's definitely a lot to explore there of you know. What happens when that connection gets broken and then you have, you know, this character or this person who is dependent in this other person for, you know, something as crucial as their job. And then now it's like, oh, who are you? It's this person's wife. You know, they're, they're sort of just lost into the system. And, yeah, I think there could be a lot more things to explore there. But it sort of just glossed over it for the pretty shots of Arizona and Utah and America. And so I think they wanted to be more just contemplative on just the vast beauty of the landscape a little bit more. Yeah. And it just comes off as like, here's how you cope with, uh, you know, these problems. Here's how you survive within these problems rather than here's how we, here's what we need to do to fix these problems or like, what can we do? Yeah. It's, it never feels like what, like watching the movie it's like what can we do to help these people is what i wonder but it feels like the movie isn't asking that the movie is saying here's how we can survive this awful situation not here's how we can fix it um yeah i don't know yeah because yeah it wasn't really a commercial for me to to go out on the road and live <laughs> yeah. like that and i was like i'm but totally uh, but but i was interested i was like what are the skills that i need to know for when this happens to me yeah totally uh, because it yeah. it could it could fucking happen and yeah it's like yeah know the barter system <laughs> have a taser have some poetry in the back pocket just in case you need to sort of poetry your way out of a situation with a sketchy looking person yeah it's like there's like that weird guy who kind of shows up a few times and with the lighter like, yeah there's yeah it's like that guy and i was like what are you trying to say with this like guy just like this recurring connections that happen on the road mm -hmm. but I thought it, was, it felt a little bit more menacing when other characters sort of show up, but I don't know. Like, didn't get into that territory. Yeah, I don't know. That's it for Nomadland. Yeah. Spring. All right. Promising Young Woman, 2020 film directed by Emerald, well, directed and written by Emerald Fennel. And the IMDb synopsis goes, a young woman traumatized by a traumatic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who cross her path. So I guess I'll ask you, Daniel, what do you think of Promising Young Woman? Uh, so my immediate reaction was that I think it's kind of incredible. <laughs> um, there's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff about this movie that I'm not 100% sure how I feel about, which I think might be good. Like, I think it's good that I'm not, I don't have a solid understanding of where I land on things. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of a messy movie and it doesn't feel like it's that interested in being a clean movie. Um, and I really like that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what did you, what were your impressions? Uh, yeah. 
it reminded me of like a movie I saw in freshman year. I'm what's it was killing me because I couldn't even think of it. But I remember watching a movie in freshman year and just being so upset by like a decision a character made. And it reminded me of that because this is a movie that is about pretty like delicate and extreme subject matter. And the trailer of it really blew me away. I remember I saw. Uh, uncut gems with my buddy in theaters and even when this trailer was in theaters this is like kind of shift in yeah. the room where it's like hold on a second like all like all the guys got quiet yeah, it's, it's, like, like, oh. yeah, it's like it's like it's like <laughs> the day of reckoning is, yeah the day of reckoning is fucking coming and yeah. like and i was really stoked but yeah like carrie mulligan hosted snl and she didn't really mention this movie and i was like hmm, like i want this movie to be like like on people's mouths a little mm-hmm. bit more and while watching, I was a little let down a tad, but overall, it, it definitely is the one of all of these Oscar movies, the ones that have, has latched on to me the, the long, like the hardest and the closest, and I've thought about the most after it ended because yeah. the ending just really upset me so much. But it's, I think that just goes to attest. It's such a, a well-designed piece of work, and it is such, it's such a wild ride, and it's it's like it's so nicely designed that it's hard not to like it, and it's yeah, it just swings for the fences for some things and I, 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 I actually let me reel that back i think it pulled his punches in a few moments but overall it was really enjoyable yeah uh so emerald fennel's nominated for best director i haven't seen all of the best director nominees but i feel like maybe she deserves it <laughs> because mm-hmm. like I, i'm not sure that this is the best picture but it's like this i feel like this movie just makes such interesting decisions yeah and hell yeah so so like every like everyone has already talked about like the casting like casting a bunch of dudes who usually appear in comedies and stuff as your your villains these these quote unquote nice guys um to yeah. be the predators it's like super fucking smart <laughs> um yeah brilliant having bo burnham and sam richardson as well, yeah like mclovin all these like actors just being like in these really fucking compromising positions yeah and even like allison brie showing up it's like and she's great yeah. <laughs> uh and so yeah it just feels and I don't know, this movie just, I love that the character Cassie isn't someone that you could, you're you totally behind. Like, she does some stuff where it's like, okay, pr- making Alison Brie believe that she was raped. Like, that is yeah. fucking insane. <laughs> like, yeah. this is, the yeah, once that happens, it's like, well, I can't be on board with this person like did that really happen like what the fuck is this movie is what's going through my head because just leaving her on a string for most of the movie it was like the most draw drop drop thing when she shows up later on i was like oh yeah like we totally forgot about allison Bree's character and just like let her behind left her behind a little bit yeah. for this like romantic comedy you're like paris hilton dancing in the middle of this movie and it's just like holy shit this character has just been crumbling in the corner because he's you know this possibility of you know sexual you know uh, fucking sexual assault or whatever happening is just so grave is enough to you know ruin this person it's just really fucking devastating yeah and it's yeah it's it's not a decision on behalf of cassie that you can get behind like so so i think one of the ways that this movie kind of doesn't go far enough is that ultimately a lot a lot of what she's doing to these these men is she's just giving them a stern talking to like mm-hmm. she's making them she's making them face what they are doing uh so they have to acknowledge how wrong it is <laughs> um but they're not really getting their comeuppance you know uh yeah they just have to live with that guilt maybe or they brush it off or i i think mostly what it yeah. is is they live in fear that she's gonna do something um yeah 
and the like marketing of the movie there's like a trailer that's out and she's walking down the street she's eating this pastry or something and there's like hot dog. red jelly going a uh, hot dog there's like red i guess it's ketchup going down her arm and down her shirt and in the trailer highly suggests that she's going to be killing these yeah. guys and that's part of why I was so excited to give this movie my money. So I was like, I get to see McLovin finally get killed on camera. Like this is this is worth the ticket price for sure. But yeah, I was just like, dang, like he got he got away again. And I was just, but yeah, I think her you point. You just ate No, like, well, yeah, he's he like I don't know. He Christopher misplants. He's like on the fence for me. He sort of showed up and was the flavor of the month. And yeah. I don't know. Have you seen Kick Ass One and Two? Like he's super annoying in this movie. I, <laughs> yeah. I did not like the first one. It didn't bother me the second one. Yeah, but I don't know, I was, it was at least implied or I was convinced that she was going to take this yeah. to a level of extreme violence. But I guess the point that Fennel is making is a little bit more important and there's the what the character does is a little bit more honorable. But, but I guess, what did you feel about it? Because what the character does, I think, is really crucial to the conversation about the movie. Um, yeah, so it, it, it is marketed as a rape revenge movie. Um, I thought it was going to be something like Miss 45. Are you familiar with Miss 45? No, what's that? Uh, it's a movie by I want to say his name is Abel Ferrer. Is that what his name is? Abel Ferreira. Um, it's just kind of an exploitation movie. It's this. It's a rape revenge movie. A woman gets raped. Uh, I be- I believe she's raped more than once, and I think the second time she Sorry. actually is able to pull a gun out and like kill the person assaulting her. And Damn. after that, she just goes around. She she's hunting men. And if I'm remembering it correctly, I think she's like wandering around in the park at night and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. trying to lure men out. Um, and when they come for her, she just like shoots them. And I think I think the movie makes a point to show her shooting men who aren't even doing anything wrong. Um, okay. And so spoilers for Miss Forty Five, but the way that movie ends is it ends in a mass shooting. She she's at a Halloween party. She's dressed as a nun. She has a gun and she just starts blasting men at this party, like who, hmm, okay. you know, are, are friends of her friends. Like, pe- yeah, some of these people she probably doesn't even know, and she's just shooting any man. man. And the way that movie operates, I remember when I was watching it. By the time that movie got to the end, and she's just blasting any man, I was like, yeah, <laughs> like fucking go for it, like whatever, like. Yeah. Um, and so I was expecting this movie to be, you know, that sort of revenge movie, and it's not, which on one hand it feels it feels more thoughtful by by not it, it's an exploitation movie without the exploitation, it sort of feels like. Um it's Yeah. It it does something really brilliant by luring you in with the idea of violence and horror and thriller, and then it swaps it out for this very genuine love story in the center of it. And then and you know it's not going to go well yeah. because we know what movie we're in. Yeah, and then you get a bit of information at the end, and the character completely goes over goes over the edge a little bit. And yeah, yeah. What did you think it's... of that turn with with Bo Burnham? That like so spoil spoilers for this movie. Um, so it is revealed that Bo Burnham was at the scene of of a rape, which I think the word rape is never uttered in this movie. Yeah, they never say it. They just heavily imply that this girl was just completely, her life was completely, completely destroyed after this assault. And the way that we are given information about this rape and assault is basically we hear everything in this video that we never see on camera. Yeah. 
but like we see Carrie Mulligan driven just to into straight up tears over what she's seeing happen to her friend and yeah the way that the voices are having it's like they're fucking throwing around a piece of meat so it sounds yeah. really awful and really vile what's happening in that and yeah it's they, that credit to the writer for you know showing not showing and not telling and, and just yeah. being able to imply all that information and, and being able to lead the audience to it without actually showing that gruesome act but yeah the movie yeah it, it reveals that Bo Burnham's character Ryan who is Cassie's love interest was at the party where this took place and he was like laughing about it um and so uh you know, she she demands from him to know where this this bachelor party is going to take place, where like um, you know you know the uh, the rapist is is getting married, and so he's going to be having a bachelor party. So she demands that Ryan tell her where this place is, otherwise she's going to leak this this video out, and you know he will lose his job and his I don't know his name will be destroyed or whatever. Yeah, he's a pediatrician, and she really leans into the fact that yeah, it's like your like your entire practice, your life will be shattered if this information gets out. And so that's when he flips on her, basically, and he goes into self-preservation mode, and he is no longer loving and affectionate. Um, he's just out to save himself. But he but he also he tells her that she's like a failure and stuff like that. He like goes into attack mode. It's not even self-preservation yeah. mode. It's like attack mode. Um, it's it's sort of the... It reminds me of like the nice guy thing of like... You see it on Twitter all the time where it's like... Someone's like, oh, uh, send me nudes or you're so sexy. <laughs> or they like ask someone yeah, out like, and they get... Request, re request, request yeah, until they get denied. They get so, oh, rejected. Yeah, exactly. Then it's like, oh, fuck you, you're a bitch and all this stuff. and All of the um, terrible words for women that you could possibly... Yeah. They, they pull out the dictionary of just... Yeah. yeah, just horrible. And so we have this kind of flip in Ryan uh, when he's telling her that she's a failure and stuff like that because she, she never became a doctor. And but then at the same time, he's telling her stuff like he, he initially he's trying to tell her that he loves her and that like he he's asking her to forgive him. Like, you have to forgive me. You have to forgive me. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. I think my connection to this middle part of the movie is really complicated. Well, on, on one hand, I'm not a really I'm not a fan of romantic comedies. Like it takes a really good one to like convince me to like that. I don't like have any adoration for the genre as a whole. Yeah. And I think this this is a movie that sort of is like a, like a, a tribute and a subversion of romantic comedies in a way that you know there's this really sugary blue and pink color palette throughout this entire film and there's a nice just straight up dance Andy, sequence yeah. inside of the pharmacy when there's Paris Hilton playing and they're just having a good way time too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I was just like oh man it's like this is yeah just pure romantic comedy at that point like yeah. it's not thriller it's just straight up love story and i'm a cynical asshole you know i'm not <laughs> so i was just like okay this is really boring i want to you know i i guess i was wanting more violence in this movie which says more about me than it says about the yeah. movie but yeah as i was getting further into it i was like okay i i want this to turn i want the other shoe to drop and so when it finally does happen it it did sort of satisfy me but yeah i don't know i think yeah, I think my main issue was like, yeah, I felt like the guys were getting off really easy in this movie. Yeah. And I guess we're going to get into spoiler territories. The fact that I think we're already this guy that's yeah. we're deep. Yeah, I guess fully deep spoiler territory at this point. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, we, <laughs> definitely we, more we, extreme spoilers. 
Yeah, when we get to this final freaking when we get to this final confrontation with this medical like frat guy who has been mentioned in name only up until this point Ow. when she finally gets to this party. Yeah, when we finally get to Al, like the fact that he, you know, gets away like he gets this victory really, really upset me and I did not want Cassie to die in that moment in the in the, you know I, I was so happy that she worked her way up into like the lion's den, so to speak, and was yeah. like, I thought that that was going to be the moment she was finally going to like. Yeah, I thought know, she was going to go in and blast in or something. Yeah, I, I thought that was going to finally be like the murder of the movie, yeah. but it flips it, and yeah, fucking, it's it literally had like, my jaw was dropped. Like I didn't know what to fucking think when she was getting yeah. smothered by this pillow, and this guy kills her, and then and it's I, like I almost real time, like the suffocation. Like, it's like a two-minute yeah. scene or something like that of just her with a pillow on her face and a guy, like, kneeling on the pillow. Yeah, and as we're talking about it right now, it's making me think of Gaspar Noe's Irreversible, which is also a movie about rape yeah. and sexual assault, where we see it happen in real time, and it's all about the the excruciating reality that is time and the fact that movies have the ability to cut around all of the stuff, the fact that we have this notorious video of the assault and it's framed in a way where we don't see it, but we hear it. And so it's, it's, you know, it's using that medium to, to dance around it. But here it's like, okay, the camera is just going to just slowly yeah. push in on our protagonist getting strangled and you have to deal with it. You can't, you're not going to be able to get away with this. And then yeah, her body like, getting burned and him like kicking the hand into the act. Like it was just, it fucking hurt. I was so, I was so angry. I was literally writing "fuck promising young women." Like I was so angry. Like that was what I was writing in my notes. <laughs> that was, like you're a funk mank, but I was like, man, like this just really got me. But I think that goes to the point. It's, it's a really uh, effective movie. <laughs> this movie totally worked. And yeah, seeing all of those dudes get you know, the police showing up at the end was it. It helped a little bit, but yeah, it was a very bittersweet victory. Yeah. And that just. Yeah, so, what, she, what did she think about so, that? So, okay, so just on the topic of, like, Cassie being suffocated and killed, it feels like, like, we talked about how, like, this movie kind of lets the guys off easy, and it feels like the most aggressive violence and the most aggressive violations are committed against women in this movie. Yeah. Um, when it's supposed to be, it's kind of, it, it, it's marketed as, like, a revenge movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess it's a subversion of that, but I find it odd that like Cassie's, like Cassie's greatest victims are women. Uh, when like her making Allison Brie believe that she was raped, her making uh, the dean believe that her daughter yeah. is potentially going to be raped. It's like that 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 is so much worse than anything happening to the men in this movie. Um, yeah, and so seeing her getting strangled at the end of it just. It's like a, a fucking gut punch. Yeah. And it, like, yeah, it's like this sacrifice because, you know, it's that murder that allows Al to finally be arrested. It, it begs the question of, like, he probably would have continued to get away with yeah. all of the things he's getting away with unless it crossed that line of murder. And so I like yeah, I, I understand that. But, yeah, it just I was just so attached to Cassie and I just wanted her to sort of get out of this kinda... and sort of be on the road to... You know, being better. I kind of feel like it should have ended after she died. Um, like, like yes, I want the release of seeing her take these men down, but like when we first get that introduced, when she when she gets killed, and I'm like struggling to figure out how I feel about this. Like, all I'm thinking is like, okay, so this movie is ending with a woman literally being silenced by a man. Um. He's not going to get 
the revenge that she sought. He's probably going to get away with this. And so I was like, well, I mean, I don't know if he would get away with murder necessarily, but he was going to get away with like the, the crimes that she wanted to uh, punish him for. And that felt really potent to me um, and really meaningful. And to have it be like, oh, well, no, now the cops are here. Um, the cops who we've just, you know, we've acknowledged that the institutions have failed her friend, her friend Nina, but now the institutions of power are going to punish these men, um, hopefully. Um, and that felt kind of, it felt weak to me. Um, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I think ending it on her just being dead, I don't know. I think it just, it's, it, it, would, it's cool. it, would, it would be very fucking yeah, it cool. Would, <laughs> Yeah, it would have really made that journey been uh, that journey would have been really hard to stomach and because yeah, it's like cause, because like a yeah, lot of what this so movie much... a lot of what this movie is about is how her search for revenge is self-destructive. Um, you know, her parents, her dad tells her something along the lines of like we lost Nina, I didn't want to lose you too or something like that. Um, yeah, and you know, these that, like, yeah, that's like the center of her little emotional arc is like, yeah, she's going too far. She's going too far to the deep end. She can't have the nice romantic comedy relationship with Bo Burnham's character. And she can't, like, you know, ascend up in her work. She's, like, not interested in that world either. And so, I, I don't know. I felt like there was something more for this character to sort of get out of the world. And I thought that would have been a little bit better if, you know... It, it, their relationship just didn't end with him her sending like a nice little text and just being like okay yeah, like there's a like, little winky face but I was just like yeah I was like I don't know I think they could have had them be together and that would have been a little bit more satisfying to me but yeah having her yeah having her die I just I struggled with that so much and that yeah just seeing that on screen just really upset me and so but I think yeah it goes to what you said about this movie being so well directed and I think it's so yeah it's such yeah, just the way that it's designed is just extremely effective. And yeah, I think Fennel did a great job sort of take, pulling the rug out under our feet. Um, what did you think of the Alfred Molina scene, um, him as the lawyer? I thought it was interesting, yeah, because he does a really nice turn in that scene where she goes in and there's like this power dynamic because he's like bigger than her and he basically like invades her space and is like touching and like grabbing her when he's basically confessing and like he's like yeah like i totally would have been on your side but like this machine is designed to just chew people up and like they will like scour social media and they will find anything possible to help like criminalize not criminalize but um uh demonize de yeah uh... to demonize the person that you're trying to you know in this legal battle or whatever that they're trying to make seem that there are uh uh sexually promiscuous or whatever and so it, if you're trying to defend this guy in court of these you know like of these assault accusations and they will find anything on social media to help criminalize make the girl look like a bad person and yeah. you know he's he's not into that he's like recognizing that it's a bad system and yeah the performance is, is it, it really got me because yeah like he is one of the few characters to sort of invade her space in a way where she's clearly not prepared for it but the mm -hmm. things he's saying is, is like aligned with what she's fighting for yeah and it's interesting that that's the only that's the only person she forgives for having a hand in, you know what happened to her friend yeah. um, and it's because he's the only person who I guess feels truly apologetic um, that's the word yeah that's what I was looking for and so 
it's yeah this movie doesn't really explore too much of you know how does someone come back from their lowest point uh from their ugliest moment um i feel like that's the only glimpse we get of it um but like the fact that it even does that i feel like is really big and really interesting um yeah and i like the casting choice too he's uncredited which is weird alfred molina because it's it's like a pretty big prominent role i feel like yeah I, yeah, I think they're just playing on that, that, using his face and everything to help sort of sell this character as, in our minds, he's, well, he's Dr. Octopus, but he's still, like, this revered actor, and so he's, like, this grandfather, fatherly-looking figure, and so casting him as, it sort of goes along the, the subversion of casting, like, quote-unquote, nice guys in these roles of being adjacent to predators or being, you know, very nearly predators themselves, and so... Yeah, I thought the casting was really interesting because yeah, I was like, love Alfred Molina, he's great. But then the the idea of him being the attorney for these uh, Brock Turner yeah. type of people is like is really bad. And it's like to see him sort of on his knees, really apologetic and being like, hey, like it's like these girls are just being just chewed up by the system. And it's like, yeah, it, that was really effective for me, and so I, I I really appreciated that. And so I like that he is the character that gets sent the tape at the end of the movie. I think that was a nice a nice little moment for the character too. Yeah. So I think if all of all of these people in the movie, I think I trust him with that information the most, and I think he would, you know, help our characters out the best. Yeah. So I think of the of the three, this is the one that I enjoyed the most. Um, I think it's like I said, it feels pretty messy, <laughs> but I also don't think it's supposed to be very clean. Like with you know us not being totally on board with Cassie and this questionable ending. Um, yeah, it is a little all over the place, but I, yeah, I fucking love it. And I'm I glad it exists. <laughs> yeah, I think Allison Brie is really, really good in it. And I don't know if she got nominated for anything, but I think her performance is like a, a really, uh, it's like a highlight for this movie because knowing her from community and <laughs> to see her in this like really dark role and to see her as like kind of this socialite unraveling is, yeah, it, she did it really well. She did um, so Carrie Mulligan's nominated for Best Actress. What do you think? Yeah, I think she's really good in this. Um, I think Viola Davis is still my my pick, but Carrie Mulligan is, is really nice in this movie. And yeah, she she does... She Yeah, this is a, a interesting role to sort of take upon, sort of be this vulnerable, but also like seductive and yeah, just completely commanding character and... Yeah, there's a lot to be said about. Yeah, she's like, she's this gorgeous actress that you know does something very vulnerable by playing this like really messy and you know conflicted character. And yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I love the casting of this movie. Yeah, like having Molly Shannon and being in there yeah. too. It's just like, yeah, it's like all these like sort of comedians dealing, sort of dancing and waltzing around this incredibly dark and like you know. Like it's really dark and dense subject matter, and so yeah, there's the entire package is such an interesting thing, and so yeah, I can't help but love it for what it is. Yeah, it has some issues, but overall, it's a lot of fun. I wish McLovin got killed, but it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll forget. You hate it. McLovin. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's it for promising young woman. Unless you have any additional thoughts. No, I think that's about it. All right, so then let's get into uh, what have you been watching lately, Thomas? So this week, wanted to talk about. Pause for one moment. Um, 
Okay, um, I finally got around to watching Face Off. Oh, fucking uh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, like I'm like starting my John Woo journey. I have Face Off and also have The Killer and uh, Hard Boiled to watch next. But yeah, I remember seeing Mission Impossible 2 from back in the day. So like I I know that, yeah, John Woo's like really extravagant. Mm-hmm. And so I think this movie is like, I think, the pinnacle of that 90s Hollywood style. And yeah, just... Having Nicolas Cage just basically going full Nicolas Cage, yeah. I think I finally understand. Yeah, all these all these memes about Nicolas Cage being crazy, I think it sort of goes back to Face Off is like the start of it, and you know, The Wicker Man is you know sort <laughs> towards the end, of it, like the height of it. But yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun and just absolutely ridiculous. I just wasn't ready for yeah, just how like long and deep it got like i wasn't expecting like the characters sort of meet each other's love interests and like the kids showing up and like all the stuff towards the end and it's just like they're like they covered all the bases they talked about everything everything i thought they would they would cover it's a fucking long it's like two and a half hours this movie yeah and like yeah by the time they're doing like the full-on speedboat chase with nicholas cage like hanging off the end like (laughs) getting back with like his feet up and then like yeah it's just yeah i love that it has it's just so over the top (laughs) it's like they actually fucking threw a speedboat chase into this movie like it just keeps going yeah and then john travolta just being yeah just fathead john travolta is just great and i i don't understand how a sequel of this movie can be made and i don't understand i think it's a remake why the guy (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, there's no way it's a sequel with (laughs) Travolta and Cage super fucking old now. Well, I guess, like, they're not that old, but... Yeah, I didn't understand the hype, but now I fully understand the hype, and I'm very skeptical skeptical about how they could redo this or revisit this in a way that would, you know, contain all of those charms and everything. Yeah, Margaret Margaret Cho as... like his like person in the office who he's just like constantly like just <laughs> diverting all of his negative energy to it's like it's just so many like random things in this movie that just made me laugh and it was, it was a lot of fun and i know you had mentioned it a couple of times and so i i tracked it down and had to yeah, watch that's, it so. that's my hangover movie where it's like you're hungover you don't <laughs> want to do anything just lay in bed throw face yeah. off on it's two and a half hours <laughs> two hours 20 minutes yeah it is it's It'll all you, you need that brunch phase. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's sweet. Um, so yeah, I watched that. What did you watch this week? I watched a movie called Synchronic. Um, oh, okay. It's, Anthony Mackie. Yeah, with Anthony Mackie. Oh, have you seen this one? No, but I just, I'm just aware of all the stuff he's um, <laughs> keeping track of my boy. Yeah, it's about two paramedics who they keep going to these overdose sites um, where there's just like weird shit happening. Like they go to they go to a house where... A woman has overdosed on heroin and there's a man in the other room who appears to have overdosed overdosed and he's been stabbed with a sword. Um, they go to another place where a woman has been bitten by a snake. There's no snake around. They find her boyfriend. He has fallen down an elevator shaft and he is missing his limbs. <laughs> um, See, this is what the Falcon and the Winter Soldier should have been. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out that there's this drug called Synchronic that these people have been taking and... Uh, it it is revealed that if you have an under under calcified uh, pineal gland, uh, so if you're a young person or if there's something wrong with your pineal <laughs> gland, uh, and you take okay. this drug synchronic, it actually allows for time travel. <laughs> um, and so okay. these people are the victims of some sort of time travel accident. Um, huh. And so yeah, that time murder. Yeah, it, it, it's it's. <laughs> 
it's a pretty fun movie. It's it's pretty funny. Uh, it's pretty cool with its tone and its style. Uh, I feel like the the moments of like actual character drama aren't that great. Um, I think I, I I which I mostly think is a directing issue. I don't really think it's a performance issue. Probably a writing issue too. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it's pretty fun. It's on it's on Netflix now and. I don't know. I was I was pretty fucking into it, and uh, like for the first half, and it, it kind of delves a little bit more into the character drama in the second half, which you know lost me a little bit. But it, it, it's a pretty good watch. It's a good. It's a good, nice little sci-fi movie. Okay, that's a good setup. Um, did you watch Falcon and Winter Soldier? I did. I'm trying to remember so what I. happened <laughs> this week. This I felt like there was a lot of moving pieces in this last episode with like, him losing the wings and getting this new suit and sort of being okay with taking the shield and yeah fake captain america i think like going on the the dark path and <laughs> completely going evil yeah i think the uh biggest moment for me was when bradley uh, is it isaiah bradley bradley says um yeah that a black man cannot and should not be captain america that like no self-respecting yeah, yeah. black man will pick up the shield um because it's it yeah I, I did not expect the show to do that to present this as like yeah. that sort of challenge um i don't know what do you think yeah yeah i thought it was pretty fucking interesting like him showing up to his house and he has like the shield in the bag and yeah he's just like he trying to appeal to him and then he just like go gives him this really long backstory about all the horrors that he saw and yeah yeah, I think I get props to Marvel. Like I say, like I was not expecting the show to get into that territory. Yeah. Like commenting on like Tuskegee, even like like vaccine paranoia, and like just the government dealing with black bodies. And yeah, I props for them for even going for it and sort of handling it, you know, with respect and being able to have this character who has good motivations for not wanting to be involved in this, yeah. and also having making Sam question his motivations and also helping him figure out why he does want to be Captain America and sort of seeing his kids or not his kids, his nephews adoring the shield and sort of kind of this awful circle. And yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a real trip and yeah, it's, it's still a lot to like process because yeah, there's a lot of themes getting tossed around and yeah, I'm, uh, I think I was, yeah, a little just blown away by it. <laughs> a little speechless. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah, I really liked that by like calling into question what it means for a black man to hold the shield it it's saying like what does that shield mean and by extension what does the flag mean <laughs> like what is yeah what yeah. does pa- like patriotism and uh yeah i don't know what does america mean um yeah it made me think about my mom a lot because my mom is like super like she's really into america and i remember mm-hmm. we were at the warriors parade when the warriors like the last time the warriors won the world championship for basketball and <laughs> out there at Lake Merritt and like doing the whole parade and everything. And, you know, we're, we're in Oakland and like the cops walk by and my mom's like, yeah, go police. And I'm like, hold Whoa. on, mom. Like, <laughs> so I, was like, I was just like, I, I, I'm totally down for your enthusiasm, but like not here in Lake Merritt right now in 2018. I can't, I can't, I can't do that right now. And so, yeah, it's like, yeah, those questions are fucking real. And yeah, it's like America is like one of those places where, yeah, like the patriotism comes in a lot of different shapes and colors and like that comes with a lot of conflict and history. And yeah, it is not a clean cut thing. And 
yeah, it, it is it's hard to sort of pinpoint. And Sam dealing with it is really interesting and really deep. And yeah, the Winter Social handing it back is like, yeah, like it's not an easy thing for a black man to pick up the shield. Like, like I'm sorry about that. And that apology yeah, felt really fucking raw to me. I was like, if all of like the Marvel lines of recently people talking about like the, the whole ships of Theseus thing in, um, in WandaVision, I was a big fucking fan of all of Vision's fun yeah. lines in that show. But I was like, yeah, some of the lines in this show have really taken me aback and uh, really surprised me and yeah, I'm like really happy at the fact that we've gotten into this territory. And I'm yeah, I'm bummed the show's gonna be gone. I'm excited for this like climactic sixth episode, but yeah, I feel like this show's gonna be gone. I'm gonna miss it for for uh, it being a nice weird is this phase five? Like a nice weird phase I don't five even know. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what phase well we're getting yeah, the next movie Shang Chi. Well actually I think it's it's Black Widow and then Shang Chi. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they've been pushing Black Widow back a lot, and I know that's definitely the next one. Up. How are you feeling about Black Widow? Are you gonna are you excited for it? Lukewarm? I wasn't super excited about it. Um, I think the cast is really interesting. Um, yeah, uh, the guy from Stranger Things. Yeah. I'm totally blanking on his name. Um, yeah, I think that's gonna be cool. Like, and same with Shang Chi. Like, it looks kind of cool. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm biased because it's set in San yeah, Francisco, same. so let's go Bay Area. But yeah, overall, like the action didn't quite grab me. I mean, the kung fu looks dope. Like I'm always down for kung fu, but yeah, there wasn't anything that like really stuck out to me. That was yeah. like, oh, like that was like a, a must see. The trailer right? didn't really wow me too much. Um, I think I've said on this show before that I'm kind of done with solo Marvel movies because I didn't I didn't care for the last Spider Man. I didn't care for Captain Marvel. Huh, I didn't okay. even care for. Gardens Volume Two. I didn't care for Ant Man and the Wasp Two. <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't care Matter for Doctor fact, Strange. <laughs> like, there's a lot. There's Marvel a lot of these that I didn't like. So I was. I've been saying like, oh, I'm probably not going to go see Black Widow. Like, I think I've. I think I've learned my lesson at this point. I should stop seeing these movies. But now I'm like, I just want to fucking see some stupid movies in a theater. <laughs> like, I'm probably going to yeah. go see Black Widow. I'm probably not going to enjoy it. Um, yeah, definitely. I. I I actually do want to see Shang-Chi because it does take place in San Francisco. I'm curious to see, you know, I, I like doing, I like playing the geography game and being like, okay, where are they? Like, does this angle make sense? Does this building actually exist? Um, like, is this chase scene actually possible? Yeah. How like, I, with my knowledge of the streets of San Francisco. Uh, Emily and I, when we watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, the, the post credit scene when they're on the rooftop of some building, we actually like we're look we're, we're like looking in the background for landmarks and we're like trying to triangulate their location and like looking yeah. at Google Maps and being like okay like where whereabout are they does this building exist um, awesome. it, it doesn't yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah yeah I, I yeah. I'll, I'll probably see that one and... yeah that's how I felt like oh man in Black Panther when there's like the scene where they go into it's like Killmonger's dream sequence and it's just like this fantasy Oakland mm-hmm. it's just like yeah it's like that's such a mix of so many skylines yeah. it was just like purple sky and shit and i was like okay this isn't quite brookfield but it's close enough yeah. so i think does that wrap it up for 36 um oh wait so, wait, yeah, wait, uh, wait 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 we, wait wait we officially watched all of the um all of the best picture nominees so has what's your what's your number one what do you think's taken up the gold has your opinion changed at all so i'm thinking yeah, I was really convinced that Nomad Land would be one to go up to my top. But after our discussion, I think it sort of went more towards the middle again. 
And yeah, as I was watching Promising Young Woman, it was really high up on my list, but then it sort of started to work its way down towards the middle. And so I'm thinking it's probably the same. My favorites right now are like Minotri or um, Judas and the Black Messiah or The Father as like the three that are the ones that stuck out to me. And I'm really surprised that The Father stuck up there because I would not have watched it if we didn't do this rundown. And so, yeah, it's up there. Um, Um, For me, I think it's still Sound of Metal uh, is my number one. Just because, like, it it just feels like... It just feels like a classic... A classic movie. (laughs) Like, it feels kind of timeless. Like I said, it reminds me of Bicycle Thieves. And I was thinking about that even more. And it's like, oh, even Bicycle Thieves is about someone losing someone losing their bike which is their source of income and sound of metal is someone losing their hearing which is you know kind of their source of income um sound of metal is more about addiction versus you know um poverty but um yeah yeah i totally yeah forgot about sound of metal it is up there yeah probably like four or like you know right under those top three yeah i would yeah i i I totally feel that i would say after sound of metal probably judas and the black messiah uh, my my only hang up with Juice and the Black Messiah is can you give a Best Picture award to that Martin Sheen makeup? I don't know if you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. um, and yeah. yeah, but yeah, I think those are my top two. Yeah, it's like can you give a trophy to, to fake cigarette burns on yeah, on, on. on your black and white film for me? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, um, what are we I, so, are we going week? to do the? <laughs> are we going to do um, what? Such a good point because I'm, I'm totally thinking about watching the Academy Awards. That's like the next thing on my yeah. mind um, for next Sunday. But as far as movies to watch, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, should we? <laughs> I don't want to do Mortal Kombat. I don't know why that's the one that keeps I keep defaulting to every you time do I think about do that. The or you don't want to do that. I don't want it to be Mortal Kombat, but that's the first thing that ever, that keeps popping into my mind. We were just because talking about Shang Chi too, so I was like, "Yeah, Kung, like, Kung Fu is like you know it's gonna make his comeback, and I'm totally down for that. You know, need more roundhouse yeah. kicks. I'm gonna watch. I know I'm movies. gonna watch it. There's nothing else to watch. Yeah, well, I guess well, like our our choices sort of got mixed up over these last two weeks, yeah. so I I don't know what's gonna be next. Okay. We'll see. For sure. All right. Well, it's been episode 36 of Vague Zone. If you would like to contact us, you can email us, vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you would like to tweet at us, hit us up on Twitter, at Vaguezone. If you'd like to talk about what your favorite movie for you know Best Picture this year, let us know. We'd love to know your opinion. What did you think about Mank? What did you think about Nomadland and Promising Young Woman? How wrong am know. I about Mank? <laughs> yeah. No, I, think I think your frustrations are valid. It's been episode 36. I'm Thomas. I'm Daniel. And we'll catch you on the next one. Oh, my God.